right, we're going to kick this off because we got a lot of content and we want to make sure we don't go long. Um, uh, we're talking in this mic because we're recording it. If not, we wouldn't use the mic because this room isn't that large. <laughs> Hi, everybody. How many of you, is this your first equip class that you've been to? I see a few hands, about half of you. Cool. Everybody else has been to equip before. So just to kind of give you an overview, um, uh, this isn't going to be like a sermon. This is a little bit more relaxed than that. We're going to, you guys all have your fill-in-the-blank notes. Please let us know if we miss one of the blanks, because that's me. I really like to have all the blanks filled out on my uh, fill-in-the-blank sheet at the end. Uh, today's class, we're going over the common rule, which is uh, this book right here. And we're not going to be going through like word for word what each chapter is, because you can read the book on your own. More of what we're doing is we're going to be, we've read this book and we're kind of going, this is how this book applies to us. This is how we've seen this work in our lives before. Whether or not we knew we were adhering to some of these principles, we've seen them work out in our lives. And so I'm going to pray and then we're going to introduce ourselves and then get started. Sound good? All right, Lord, thank you for being here tonight. Thank you that you want to help us to grow in wisdom and stature and favor with God and with man. Lord, help us to, to for our eyes to be opened. Help us to see how you are shaping us and moving us and, and, and forming us into the image of your son. Holy Spirit, come and just begin to shape our hearts tonight. Give us wisdom, like tug on our hearts when there's something that needs to be adjusted. Uh, we want to walk out of here looking different. We want to walk out of here excited about what you're doing in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, well, um, most of you probably know me. I'm David. I am the worship pastor on staff here. Just a little bit about me. I've been married for eight years. I have two kids, a four-year-old and a 19-month-old, although he's very large, 19-month-old, <laughs> and he eats a lot of food, so we could call him two. He kind of measures in at a two-year-old. Um, uh, been on staff at New Song since the beginning. We moved up here from Dallas with Pastor Josh and Sarah, uh, my wife and I did, to plant New Song Church, and that's me. So, Chris Dingus, uh, we've been at New Song for about 18 months, maybe not even that long. Started coming uh, late summer last year. Uh, married, got three kids, 13, 11, and 9. Emerald, Hunter, and Jade. They love E-Man. Um, and yeah, I've been uh, walking with the Lord since uh, I was a kid and really had a really gave my heart to the Lord um, right before I went to college after my senior year in high school is kind of when I really sold out and said I want to live my life for Jesus. So, yeah, had some awesome experiences and good stories and excited to co teach with the, the infamous and famous David Terry. <laughs> awesome. Well, um, I'm going to start off with giving you your first blank here to fill in. Um, education is what you learn and know, things you are taught. Formation is what you practice and you do, things that are caught. And this is really the big idea um, in this class tonight and throughout this book is that we all know a lot of stuff or maybe we're growing in a lot of stuff, but that doesn't necessarily equal formation. Like what you know in your head to be the right thing to do. You know, how many of you know you should eat a salad every once in a while? But do you I'm like, no, we don't need a salad as much as we should. Like we know exercise is good for us, but unless we have things in our life that force us to, to build habits, it won't act that knowledge won't actually lead to any formation. And so the goal of this book and the goal of this class is really just to give you an overview and to give you a couple tools and ideas and principles. In no way is this a law. Like are these things laws? There's some good biblical principles that are laws that we're going to talk about, like Sabbath and and reading the word and things that you should be doing as a disciple of Jesus. Um, but all of these things is not 
to um, produce any condemnation in your life if you're like, oh, man, this is a really messy area of my life. It's just an area for you to go, okay, let me apply in whatever manner that I can maybe some of the principles that I find in this, and it will lead to formation. What we, if, I, if I know that exercise is good for me and I wake up every day and I run, like eventually it's going to change um, uh, who I am, it's going to change my health. It's going to change a lot of things about me, but it takes a lot of, uh, e- a little bit of effort over a long amount of time. And so that's what formation is education versus formation. Your next blank is this. We often know a lot of things. We know what we, what we want to be and where we want to be and what we believe, but we also don't know how to put it into practice into our life. We know we should love our neighbor, but we don't have habits. Like for instance, we know we should love our neighbor but we don't have habits that force that behavior into our life and make it a regular occurrence, okay? Um, uh, And this this first section here, we're going to be bouncing around a little bit, just kind of giving us an overview. Um, The next little thing I want to talk about is habits are liturgies. Has anyone ever heard that word liturgy before? It sounds like a very, like, religious word, um, very Catholic word, and it is. Basically, what a liturgy is is it's a repeated— form of worship so it's something that uh in the old days like they didn't have spotify they didn't have uh you know cool spotify playlists of your weekend lineup you know that you get to see what the church is doing for worship that weekend um what they had was liturgies that they learned and they taught and they passed down and it helped teach them uh theology and it helped to uh provide some like community worship that they could and it would frame their uh lives around certain principles um and so Habits are just really a modern-day form of liturgy. Um, I like this quote that he says. It says, our habits often obscure what we're really worshiping, but that doesn't mean we're not worshiping something. The question is, what are we worshiping? Okay, so there's things in our life when you wake up in the morning, you say a liturgy. Now, whether that is a prayer that you have that you pray to the Lord to frame your morning or whether that is getting onto your phone and allowing like your boss or your work or you know a a discount code that comes in through your inbox what you're doing is you're framing your day like you're 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 worshiping something you are framing your life around something in that moment so our goal is to provide habits that 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 form us into the image of jesus over time and habits that lead to worshiping him okay uh yeah so i think it's worth expounding on this idea of liturgies a little bit because when I first heard that in the book, I'm like, that it seems like he's trying too hard to make a point. And then I started thinking about like the idea of liturgy. So like, you know, uh, what is it in, is anybody here have a Catholic background by chance? Isn't there the Hail Mary, Hail Mary full of great, like the, the people say over and over and over. And the idea is like you memorize it, you work it in your subconscious. And then when like you need to connect to God, like that's a way that you do it. And so this whole idea is if you want to know what your exam, like what you're worshiping in your life, you can examine your habit cycles and this isn't just sin habits like what are what are the things that you most consistently do day in day out week in week out like that's going to show you what you're worshiping like you consistently come to church you consistently read your bible you consistently listen to worship music that's probably because your heart's set on worshiping the lord right where it's like if you consistently listen to drama and you talk about people behind their back and you are watching jerry springer you're probably worshiping like you're probably worshiping drama right or trouble and so the idea is that as we examine our lives, we can figure out, okay, what is my heart really set on? And then we can work backwards and say like, okay, if I want my heart to be set on Christ, then how do I create new habit cycles and new rhythms in my life that actually allow me to worship him, not just my words or with my worship, but actually worship him with the cycles of my life. Yeah, that's great. 
he gives a couple examples in the book that 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 kind of nail that point home um so like this is a habit uh wake up exhausted again because i never get to bed on time anybody like you wake up in the morning you're like i should have gone to sleep earlier and then you get to the evening and you're like i'm gonna stay up again who cares um that's a habit wake up exhausted again because i never get to bed on time here's the liturgy here's here's what it points to i am not a creature i'm infinite my body will be fine i am a god like that's the attitude is like i don't have to take care of myself i don't have to you know like the day will bend around me it doesn't matter if i'm coming in um let me read through a couple more of these uh habit look at work emails on my phone before getting out of bed so first thing in the morning look at work emails on my phone this is the liturgy I can miss a quiet time, but I can't miss a quick response. Unless I'm well regarded in the office, I'm not worth anything. So you see how like these little habits kind of, these are big, you know, dramatic kind of points and maybe oversimplifications, but it speaks to a heart issue behind it. Um, uh, let's see, if a manager asks for something late in the day or an unrealistic deadline, always say yes. If a social invite comes up, always go for it. Here's what the liturgy is. I will become the best version of myself by expanding my options so I can't say no. I may be tired and busy. My family may be exhausted by my unpredictability. But if I don't preserve choice, I can't be who I really am. Okay, so these habits, what they do um, is they expose kind of where our life is heading. Um, and this is where we get to boundaries, okay, and how we think of our life as, okay, if I put boundaries in there, then it's going to remove my freedom. But what the, this, this book really shows us and, and what when you take a look at habits really shows us is that the more boundaries we put in life, it actually allows us more freedom to make the choices that we want to make. You know, I think that we want, we wish that our spiritual journey with the Lord was a little bit more microwave. Like it's like, okay, we get saved and then uh, get filled with the Holy Spirit. And then it's just like, oh man, I'm doing everything right. I want to do all the things that Jesus did. I want to, I want to wake up early and spend time with the word. Like, you know, if the Holy Spirit came to us and said, Hey, you know how I'm supposed to be forming you into the image of Christ. You know, if you wanted to, I could do that right now in an instant. We would all be like, yeah, let's do that. I'm in that. But no, like we have to look at it as like, this is a journey the Lord wants to empower us and walk with us. Uh, on okay so if if i don't set boundaries or apply visionary habits in my life those are your next two blanks then someone else will you know my body will uh my boss will my job will my phone will and as we look at these habits look at them um as an area of focus you know you you might not be able to adhere to the exacts of it um, you may not want to you may go man this is not me look for the principle behind it these these allow us to aim our life and focus at the target of becoming uh who god has called us to be okay so this is going to kind of focus our aim uh, i love this quote he says the word rule is used because you'll uh you'll see in these their their habits and their rules the word rule is used because it comes from the latin word regula a word associated with a bar or a trellis like the woodwork Yes, yeah, uh-huh. The woodwork on which a plant grows, so like a terrace that's on the side of a, a house. The idea is that we, um, like plants, are always growing and changing, but when there is no order, growth can take something that was supposed to be to produce fruit and turn it into a twisted vine of decay. So what these habits are is habits allow us to make sure that we're growing and being formed in the correct direction. Okay, does that make sense? I don't want to hit that too hard, or, you know, um, okay, I'm going to pull up. Does anyone have the book? Did you know that it was about a book? I don't know. Um, 
called the common rule. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to show this to you, and I'll do my best to kind of make it. Uh, this is the habits at a glance. So when you get this book, you'll be able to see. Uh, there's two types of habits. There's daily habits, and there's weekly habits. So daily habits are things we want to, you know, obviously every day. Um, weekly habits are more uh, sporadic. And they do two different things, okay? So half of the habits are going to help us to embrace what God wants us to embrace. Um, these are things like reading the word every day, things like Sabbath, things like that. Um, and then the the other type of habit is habits that help us to resist what the world wants us to do, to resist what God tells us to resist. Um, and so these habits are going to help to form us um, into that. Okay, so here's what I want you to do. Take uh, We're going to take like a couple minutes, and I want you to think about uh, five habits that you have in your life uh, that are either producing negative things in your life. You're like, okay, I know this isn't good. I'm staying up too late every night and I'm tired every day. That would be an example of a bad habit or a habit that doesn't net any good or bad. It's just a habit that's like, this isn't really helping me. It's not really hurting me. It's just kind of wasting my time. Think of fi five uh, habits that do that and then um, think about uh five habits that you have in your life that are positive. Yes, there's a note section in the back of your uh, fill in the blank. struggling to think of habits you might ask yourself what do my mornings look like what do my evenings look like um, what am I doing with my body um, you know as far as working out or failing to uh, who am I spending time with when is it intentional or unintentional how am I entertaining myself those are just some areas to think about if you want to think about what you habitually do Give it like two more minutes. I know. Maddie, come up here and sing something for us. <laughs> no, I don't have to.
All right. Somebody, uh, you don't have to share. We're not going to force you to share. But somebody tell me what their uh, one of their good habits was that they have built in their life. Don't be too braggy. You know, pick like. Yes, sir. Oh, I was looking at you, Daniel. Yeah, uh-huh. Those blue eyes. Drinking water. How much water do you drink a day? You don't know? Over a gallon? Good. I'm like, that's a good habit. Somebody else. Yes, ma'am? Oh, wow. Whoa. Your dog loves you. My dog will be jealous. I've got a dog if you... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anybody else? One more. Yes, sir. Every morning. Yep. Habit. Okay. Let's do uh, either bad habits or uh, habits that have a zero net. They don't necessarily push you in a good direction or bad direction. Yes, ma'am. Not eating well. E man. Mm, time waster. Yes. Maddie. Screen time. Do you want to tell us what your screen time stats are? No. <laughs> What's your screen time stats? <laughs> Anybody else have anything they want to share? No. Okay. Cool. So hopefully that's that's kind of giving you an idea of like, okay, in my life, maybe I don't see myself as a very disciplined person, but I probably fall into some routines. Like I probably have some things that I do every day. And these things that we do every day over time are going to form little things in us. They're going to shape us in certain ways. And so um, let's get to the first one, the, the first daily habit we're going to be talking about. Kneeling prayer at morning, midday, and bedtime. Okay, There's two types of prayers that uh, he talks about in this. And obviously, that's an oversimplification. There's lots more than two types of prayers. But the two types of prayers that he kind of focuses in on is the first one is uh, it, it's a prayer that names a reality that is. So these are prayers where we are praying the word of God and we're praying things like, God, thank you for your love. We're reminding ourselves of the promises of God, the provisions of God. Like this is a reality that already exists in heaven. And so we're believing it in faith and we're going, okay, I'm going to remind myself that there's nothing I can do to separate myself from God. Thank you that you're with me. Your word promises that you're with me. So there's a, there's prayers that that uh, name a reality that already is, and then there are prayers that uh, are creating what can be. So in the Bible, we see this uh, all throughout Scripture. We see this story of God creating man, and he creates man, and he creates everything with his words. We see in Proverbs that life and death is in the power of the tongue, especially whenever we align our mouth with what the Word of God says. What we do is we can create, you know, and you can get extreme with this, but what we see, this is where we like pray for healing. We pray prayers like your kingdom come, your will be done. And we pray prayers like God, bring your comfort to this person that I know that's going through heartbreak right now or is going through a loss in the family. This is creating kingdom things, kingdom values, kingdom experiences in a world where we're not seeing that around us. That makes sense? So those are the two types of prayers, okay? And then there are three times that we want to build this into our life, okay? The first one is right when you wake up. Um, he says this in the book, if we're going to make something of the world, we must begin with words. Okay, so morning prayers give us a chance to start our day with a God perspective. You know, how many of you know you wake up and uh, 
you grab your phone and you're like, I just need to wake up a little bit, right? Like I'm going to get to my quiet time. I'm going to get to my reading, but I just need to like, my brain needs to wake up. The coffee hasn't hit yet. And you just start scrolling and scrolling. And then all of a sudden you're like, I got to get ready for work. How did this happen to me? And what's happened is, is a moment that could have been framed around, okay, God, thank you, Lord, that you've got a plan for my day. Thank you, Lord, that you have created me uh, with certain gifts. Lord, I pray that today I, I go out and I serve you, whatever it is. Um, that you're praying, whatever it is that you're emphasizing. Instead, what we've allowed is we've allowed ourselves to be framed and aimed by social media or framed and aimed by the work emails or by the anxiety of what's to come for the day or by the guilt of like, I, I feel terrible about how my day was yesterday. It wasn't productive enough or I did this thing or I had this bad conversation and we start playing the replay of yesterday. What we need to do instead is immediately wake up and, it, and it, it's not this super spiritual moment. Like, I guarantee it. It's not the most like, you know, you're not you're not going to get the you're not going to get. the Yes. And you're not going to get the, like the, you know, the Holy Spirit bumps on your arms. But it's a habit and it's a statement. And I'm going to wake up in the morning and he and he talks about this being able to get on your knees is, is a big part of that. I agree. Um, I think that there is a connection between our bodies, uh, our physical bodies and our spirit. And there's something about getting up in a posture of surrender and a posture of of su uh, submission before the Lord that does something to our hearts. Also, it's really uncomfortable to get on your knees. So it's harder to fall asleep when you're praying, when you're on your <laughs> knees, because because you're it, it reminds me of like how uncomfortable it is for my flesh to do the things of God, to like to love the things of God. It's not c always comfy. And so getting on your knees first thing in the morning and going, even if it's a quick prayer, you know, sometimes if you've got if you've got little kids at home, sometimes they're waking you up and it's like, I don't have time to just have a beautiful prayer. It's like, God, have mercy on me today. <laughs> yeah, but what we're doing is we're making a commitment. The first thing I'm going to do in the day is I'm going to focus on the Lord. I'm going to aim my life at his things. OK, second time we pray is midday. So this is an opportunity to get our mind back on track. You know, I mean, you know, you start out with good intentions in the day. You have a great quiet time. And then for me, before I even leave the house, like my kids have used up all of the patience that I've just prayed for and ushered into my life. Then you get to work and Maddie's got questions and problems and Kaysen is coming with me like, hey, what are we going to do about this? And then, you know, we're leaky, like we're leaky vessels. And, and if we're not careful, we get off track. So a midday prayer, you close your office door, you get in your car after lunch, whatever it is. And you just take a moment and you go, God, thank you. Thank you, Lord, that you've been with me today. And Lord, I remind myself that I'm not here to serve me. I'm here to serve you and to serve others. And whatever it is, whatever it is you feel the Holy Spirit emphasizing um, on you. Quick and easy. Doesn't have to be super spiritual. It just helps us to nudge us back on track. Okay. The third time that it's it's essential to have some prayer, introduce some prayer in your life is in the evening. Now, this is not a nighttime prayer, like as you're going to sleep, like fall asleep, talking to God on the phone. Um, like, like, you know, you're dating when you're in junior high, you're like tall, fall asleep on the phone. Like you hang up first. Um, although, you know, that's good. Like I, I fall asleep praying a lot of nights. Um, but this is a, this is a prayer that you do before you enter into the restful part of your evening. So, um, you've, you've transitioned from work and you're transitioning into a different part of your day. Uh, he says this, and how many of you can, imp uh, can sympathize with this? There are more or less healthy ways to escape you know how many of you feel like that need to escape at the end of the day like it's been a long day you're tired your mind's racing he says there are more or less or uh there are more or less healthy ways to escape but what i can't escape is the desire to escape to escape um like that's normal like you've worked hard all day and it's time to what you're longing for is rest it's a totally normal thing 
um, what we want to do is we want to make sure we're resting the right way because there's a difference between me, you know, doing something productive or even if it's not productive, something that's healthy or is a good thing. And then, you know, getting sucked down the black hole of Instagram reels for an hour and a half. How I mean, you know, I'm going to feel more rested after one. I'm going to, I'm going to be looking more like Jesus uh, after one than I am after the other. Now there's nothing wrong with reels. There's nothing wrong with social media. There's nothing wrong with all those things. Um, but what we want to do is we want to make sure that we have the right framework going into the rest. Because if not, what we're going to do is we're just going to be like, I'm so desperate for rest that I just want to veg out. And then there's like four hours, you know, like there's four hours. You multiply that by 365. You multiply that by how many years are on your earth. That's a lot of time. Okay. So what an evening prayer does is, I, and I, I found this to be beneficial in my life in two areas. The first one is when I pick up my kids from school. So like right as I'm leaving, uh, leaving work and I'm picking up my kids from school, I'm changing my mind from being a professional, being someone who's serious and is trying to do work, to work hard and be strategic to father, husband in my mind. You know, Lord, as, as I transition, I pray that I, you fill me up with energy, that you fill me with peace, that I'm the most fun person in my home, that I'm the least cranky person in my home. There's a transition there. And then after all of the chores and all the things are done, you know, the kitchen's clean. You've done all the things that you need to do to be able to, you know, wind down for the night. I like to pray there, too, and go, God, would you help me rest? Help me to rest intentionally today in you. Help me not to do things that would uh, that would pull me in a bad direction or put me in a bad position. That that helped me to to find rest in you because we're only going to find rest in him. Um, so, yeah, totally. So one thing, small thing I'll add uh, to what David just shared that I learned a long time ago from one of my bosses. For those of you who work in organizations that are really interconnected, um, meaning like maybe you're on the phone even when you're not at work, if you're in sales or you, know, you manage people or whatever the case may be, you know, work doesn't always stay at work. Um, one of the tricks that my, uh, my mentor taught me was pick a place on your drive home and, and be like, hey, I'm about to pull in the driveway, I got to go. And let that be your place to unplug before you get in the driveway. I had a whole season of my life I would go through where I'd walk in the door and I'd be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, and it's like, I'm coming home and the first thing my kids and my wife are seeing for me is like, I'm too busy being big Mr. Successful business person to like engage with them. And I wanted to change that. So I started really taking, when we lived in South Carolina, there was a place where we would, I'd get off the highway and there was an exit and it was about three and a half, four minutes to the house. And I would try, wasn't perfect, but I would try to hang up, get off the phone at that point, and then take that three or four minutes and just get my mind right, start thanking the Lord for Crystal and start thanking the Lord for my kids and like praying about what was going to be going on in the evening so that when I walked through the door, I'd fully transition mentally and spiritually into like dad and father mode. Um, okay, so uh, can I just say, like, before we go any further, like for all of you teens and young adults that are here, this is so inspiring to me. I can't tell you, like, the season of my life that you guys are in, I just got so much poured into me and it really created an incredible foundation um, for a lot of things that God was able to do later on in my life because you will come to a season when you are married and you have kids and you have, like, you just, it, it's, the, it's more and more difficult to engage in things like this. So bravo to you guys. Keep coming and bring your friends. Um, okay, so one of the daily habits that we're not gonna spend a lot of time on, we have an incredible... Um, staff here at our church who aren't just committed to like having awesome things happening at church, but really actually helping all of us um, look more like Jesus. Um, it's the best church I've ever been in in my whole life in that regards. And so Pastor Courtney, they have next year, we're doing an entire um, equip night that's all around community. 
And so one of the chapters, if you choose to read the book that's on is about having one meal a day with others. Um, I would just challenge you guys, simple idea, simple thought. What if you didn't eat alone three meals a day? For those of you that, you know, you are younger, you're with your family, like that's probably happening anyway. But, you know, if you're a young adult or even if you're an older person and you're single, like what if you just invited the Lord to help you identify people and create rhythms in your life so you can consistently engage in every day sitting down and sharing food with somebody, whether it was a coworker for 30 minutes in the break room or, um, you know, really being intentional about a friend that you really like, but it's not easy for you to connect with them. But once a week on Wednesday, you're going to do dinner at six o'clock or whatever that looks like. Um, what that might, might that look like for you guys? We weren't intended to do life alone. And so I won't spend a ton of time on that because we're going to cover it in depth um, in the future. But I just think that was really compelling to me. Um, I will say one thing that I think is really fascinating I, that I learned le- recently um, so in the, I know, I know I'm squirreling Courtney. So, uh, in the, in the, in the old Testament, so you guys know what the, the, the diaspora was basically there was a time that Babylon came in over through the, te- over through the Jews, destroyed the temple and the Jews all got carried off into captivity. So the rabbis had to figure out like, okay, how do we save Judaism? Cause it's kind of hard to do Leviticus without a temple. Cause, cause the whole like Jewish law is built around temple worship. Right. So basically what they said is the father is the priest your home is the temple, and the table is the holy place. So in Jesus' time, the table was the spiritual equivalent to the place that they encountered God. And sidebar, also why it was so radical that he ate with sinners and prostitutes and tax collectors because it was bringing them into the most holy place where the Jewish leaders would have said, keep them far away. So anyway... We're not talking about that point, but I just had to bring that up because it, it, I learned it recently, and it really blew me away. It was really good. Um, okay, so ugh, notes, thank you. Hey, how awesome is David Terry? He highlighted the fill-in-the-blanks for me. Is that servant leadership or what? Um, okay, so there's this device that was created recently that's amazing. Um, I don't think you guys have heard of it yet, but basically what it allows you to do is you can transport yourself like in a portal to anywhere on the world that you want to be, like in an instant. Um, it's called a smartphone. Yeah. All right? Um, so there's a quote in this book that I love where he talks about presence is the essence of life. Our presence, our hereness, our being with someone in a situation, in a place, is the essence of what life is really about. Um, and that's it's it's obvious all throughout the guard like Eden was Eden because God was present there like it was the perfect place on earth the perfect garden of beauty because God himself would come and walk in the cool of the day with Adam and Eve his presence marked it Um, Israel they were considered to be the children of God because they were children of the presence God's presence when they were in the wilderness God's presence would go before them a pillar of fire by day and a pillar of cloud or Cloud by day, fire by night. Um, God's presence marked them. And then Jesus was called Jesus Emmanuel, which means God with us. Literally the presence of God. Presence is the essence of life. Um, Smartphones tempt us with a belief. They tell us a story that we can divide our presence and try to exist in multiple places simultaneously. That I can be giving part of my presence, part of my attention, my focus to E-Man and simultaneously updating that fantasy football league because somebody just hit the draft wire, right? Or checking that Instagram notification that just popped up. 
or who's liking me on TikTok. That is the temptation that smartphones tell us. But God didn't give us multiple souls. And he didn't create us with an ability to be in multiple places at one time. I think about that. God created reality, right? He could have created the world in such a way that we could be in multiple places at one time. I mean, he could have created us with an ability to divide ourselves, but he didn't. His wisdom, he made a choice not to give us the ability to do that. Smartphones tempt us with this idea that um, that we can be in one place at one time. Okay, multitasking. Who loves multitasking? Raise your hand. Okay, I've got bad news for you. Multitasking doesn't actually exist. So cognitive science has studied this, and essentially what they've discovered is some people have the ability to switch quickly. They can switch from one task to another, and so they feel like they're doing two things at once, but in reality, their mind at any one time is only focused on one of those activities, but they have a higher ability to switch back and forth. Okay, this is what's happening when we're in these environments, but what's the experience on the other side of me? If we're at coffee, and we're sitting down and we're talking, and you're sharing your heart with me, and we're getting real, and then all of a sudden I start doing this, uh uh-huh, uh-huh, what am I telling you? What am I communicating to you? I am telling you that your presence doesn't matter to me. I'm not honoring the hereness that we have. So the habit is one hour a day with cell phones off. What if um, I've been doing this recently, and I'm going to tell you at first it freaked me out. It is very uncomfortable. I promise you if your screen time is anything like mine or apparently Maddie Brown's, um, uh, or probably most people in this room, it is super uncomfortable um, not to put on airplane mode, not to put it, but to literally like physically power it down and be like 1977 unavailable. Like, you know, you're on the gravel road and ain't nobody going to be able to get hold of you. Um, so this whole idea um, about presence, I used to work in a company that I had an incredible culture, really loved the people I worked with. And this one season of my life, I had this team that both the people I managed and the people that, that were my peers, I loved them. Like really felt like God put many of them in my life in that season. Like um, we really got along well. And I, these are people I was doing life with. And we had this group text going that was like the highlight of my life. Like it was the funniest thing. Like memes, pick, pick, before we even knew what memes were, people would send me memes. Um, but that, like, I mean, just funny stories, pictures of our kids, like, <laughs> yeah. All the 40 plus year olds said, amen. But <laughs> I made David Terry giggle. Um, but this group text was like, it was this incredible way for me to have a relationship and community with these people at work, but there was a problem, right? It's that I have this other group of people in my life called my family, right? And my wife would always get frustrated and be like, why are you working? And I'm like, I'm not working. Like, ha isn't this so funny? Meanwhile, I'm engaged in dialogue. Think about what's happening in that dynamic. I'm literally making a choice to engage in community in fellowship, in laughter, in inside jokes, in stories that would take too long to retell, instead of being engaged with the actual humans that are in the same, like domus, like in the same house with me, like in the same room. Like how messed up is that? But how normal is that in our society? That you can be in a group of people and everyone is on their phone and they're engaged with another group of people somewhere else because they've gone into the portal 
and now their intent and now their attention is being transported somewhere completely different. So imagine what would happen if we just made a choice to say, I'm going to turn my phone hardcore off for at least an hour a day. And here's some times when you might do that. Um, you might think about doing that when you're with others. Give them the gift of your presence. Uh, be fully engaged and aware of Christ in you and how he might want to speak with them or in what's going on in their life and Christ in them coming from you. And just be present. Um, what if you turned your phone off when you were working? There's this concept um, in my practice. We teach this thing called the five gears. And it's this idea that there's different levels of focus that we need to have throughout the day. Um, like uh, fifth gear is like getting in the flow. So like when you're working on something, you're so intent, like if you're writing a new song or you're learning a new song, maybe, or if you're, um, if you guys create things at work, you're working on curriculum or something like that, where you're just like, you're so into it that somebody's gonna be like, Courtney, Courtney, Courtney. Like, oh yes, yeah, like you're just in the zone. It's impossible to do that in a state of constant distractedness, right? Like our ability to really unlock the creativity and the potential that God put inside of us is dramatically impacted to the negative if we have these things on and in front of us all the time. So what if you took 30 minutes a day or an hour a day when you're working on something that's really meaningful for you in your job or with at home for something you're doing for your family or whatever it is that you may do, schoolwork, guys, you might get better scores on those essays. Um, and then the third thing is like, what about when you're alone? Um, I love this quote, all of man's problems stem from his inability to sit quietly in a room alone. That was Blaise Pascal, and I don't remember what he did in math, but I remember it has something to do with math. Uh, he was a really smart guy. And I think that's so true where if you think about what the world looked like before technology, there was dramatically less input. Like we didn't just have all of the information overload flowing into us, hitting us all the time, day in, day out, constant news, updates, like – the amount of information that's coming into the human brain in this generation is truly unparalleled in the history of civilization. And up until the advent really of television, I guess radio to some extent, but really television, like people had massive chunks of their lives when they were alone in the quiet. And I mean, I'll be honest with you, I can't remember the, la the last time I sat down for an hour and just, I mean, I'll follow my sword here. I'm up here teaching, but like, I don't know the last time I just sat down by myself in nature for more than 10 minutes without a podcast or an audio book or a music or something, even if it's Christian stuff, and just was alone with God in my own soul. Like, how much might we be missing that the Holy Spirit wants to talk to us about because we're so busy consuming content that we aren't giving space to just let Him speak? Um, any thoughts on that before we? Okay. All right. Um, okay. So here's the our next daily habit is the idea of um, scripture before phone. Okay. So I got obsessed with this idea. It's you ever feel like God's just yelling at you about something? So I I heard this idea on a podcast six months ago, and then somebody was telling me about it over coffee four months ago, and then I was listening to a podcast two months. Like I mean, it's like one of those things just keeping them over and over and over. And it was this idea of like, what if you didn't wake up every morning and reach for your phone? How many of you, your phone's your alarm clock? Okay, so that's almost every hand in this room. Um, like, it's so convenient, right? They do everything for us. So, like, I just use it as my alarm clock. Okay, but the problem with, like, the problem for me, I'll speak for myself. For me, when phone is alarm clock, it is almost impossible for me to do what, what David Terry just explained to us, which is to start my day 
with prayer before phone. Well, that is actually this habit. Which just start my day with kneeling prayer. It's very hard for me to get my morning off on the right rhythm and to do what I want to do in my morning and to really serve God with my morning if my, uh, if my phone is my alarm clock because I'm, I am too easily distracted and that temptation is too strong for me to, does anybody else like find yourself looking at email and you're like, why am I looking at email? I was just looking at email 90 seconds ago. Like, I'm not kidding. Like I will, I will like subconsciously like go persist and it it doesn't make sense. It's totally logical. And yet I am pathologically addicted to checking updates on my phone. There's a brain chemical release that happens. There's a whole Netflix episode about it. If if you're interested. Um, But the idea is that mornings are ritualistic like we wake up every morning, we transition from sleep to awakeness every single day of our life, hopefully every single day of our lives. Um, if not, we need to put you on the prayer list at New Song. We'll pray for you on Wednesdays. Um, by the way, Wednesday prayer is lit, totally unrelated, but if you're not coming, you should come on Wednesday prayer. It's awesome. Um, it is. My favorite thing of the week. So the, there's power in rituals that we have in our life. We talked earlier about the idea of habits and what they do and how they form us with liturgy. And so mornings matter a lot because they're the initial moments of the day, they're initial moments of our alertness and our awakeness, and they're opportunities to serve God and give him things that we can't give him any other time during the day. It's an incredibly vulnerable state to be half asleep and just waking up and like, you know, just in a very vulnerable state and to give those moments of God, it's an offering that we really can't give him any other time in our life. So um, I about, eight weeks ago it was crazy because it was literally like a week and a half or two weeks before pastor courtney asked me to do this and i found out what this book was i bought an echo dot clock so it was like 80 bucks on amazon or something like that and it's a little echo dot speaker but it's got the clock on the front of it and i got it because there's one worship song that i love waking up to and i'm like i don't want i don't want to wake up to (laughs) although you know that might not be a bad idea but i so i figured out how to program this echo dot clock and now every night before bed i just say alexa wake me up at whatever time and then the next morning it starts playing that worship song and I'm able to get out of bed. And my phone is in our closet, which is on the other, like there's bedroom, bathroom, closet in our house and it's on a charger. And so my new morning ritual is I wake up and I have, okay, we're gonna get real for a minute. There's a little devotional and I'm in the, ba- in the bathroom, right? Mm-hmm. So like you haven't gone to the bathroom all night long. So most people, it's the first thing they do when they get up. So there's this little book that I've got and it's literally called One Minute Prayers for Husbands and One Minute Prayers for Dads. And I'll just alternate. Every day it's got a scripture in it. This is not deep theological Bible study. This is not the time that, like, I'm in my Being Transformed journal spending an hour, like, um, really digging into the Word and looking at commentaries, reading at multiple versions. I have times for that throughout the week. But this is just an opportunity for me to start my day um, with a scripture. And then usually what happens is I will have that and I'll be thinking about it as I'm going and making my coffee as I'm greeting my wife in the morning, as I'm, uh, you know, getting a shower, brush my teeth, whatever it is I'm doing in my morning, like that becomes my focus for the day. So like a couple of days ago, it was this idea of like nesting and it was really convicting to me because my wife loves creating spaces in our house. And this whole, it, in, anyway, I'm just sharing this because I was thinking about something and there was a scripture around this and I, it was about serving her and loving her intentionally that I 100% would not have been thinking of had I been on my phone. If I'd gone to Wall Street Journal, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, whatever, fill in the blank, my mind would have been something else. I would have been thinking about the economy. I would have been thinking about the news or whatever it was. Um, so there's this um, prayer ritual um, in Hebrew in the morning that they would do where they would actually, um, in Scripture, it says, I will tie your, your word upon my head and I will 
I'll have it on my heart. I don't know the exact scripture in the Old Testament. But the Jews would actually, they had these scrolls, and they would actually, every morning, they would unread, they would unloose the scroll, and they would read it and recite it over and over and over. And then they would roll it back into the scroll, and they would literally tie it in a headband around their head so the word of God was on their head. Yeah. And they had another one they would do, and they would read it, and they would recite it over and over and over. And then they would tie it in a band around their arms so that it was closest to their heart. And that was one of the things that, that Jesus did this every day of his life, by the way. Scripture says he kept every um, uh, every ritual or every law of the Old Testament. So he did this every single day of his life. He engaged in prayer. Um, there's power to mornings. Weeping may stay for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Psalm 35. I will sing of your strength. In the morning, I will sing of your love. Psalm 59, 16. But I cry to you for help, Lord. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. Over and over and over and over throughout the Bible, we learn about people who used mornings to worship God. Um, so the Hebrews, and I don't know if I said this clearly enough, they tied the word of God to their head and their heart. Thank you for the highlights. That's a good one. Yeah. Um, okay, so our work routines tell us, like our morning rituals tell us what we find our values in. Getting back to liturgies, if the first thing you do, well, let me rephrase this. In times of my life, when I woke up and the first thing I did was check work emails, what my liturgy was saying is that my value is in what I can produce and achieve. That's what I'm looking to for my identity. It's the first thing my mind goes every morning. So again, getting back to like, what do you worship? Like my value is not in what Christ did for me. It's on my ability to create results for my company and be there for people. Um, if it's the news, maybe it says my faith is in a political candidate or my faith is in the American economy because I'm terrified because they keep talking about this recession thing and I might lose my job. Or maybe it says my faith is in a particular ideological spectrum or point of view, right? What does it tell you about what you're putting your faith in? If it's social media, is my value in my status? Is it in notoriety and how many likes I get? Is it in my ability to be funny and people like you know what I have to say? Or is it in the Bible? And if my, if my morning is in the Bible, that can say one of two things. It can say that my value is in my ability to adhere to a set of Christian behaviors which is the old covenant, or it can say that my value is in what Christ has done for me and my identity in him and out of worship to him because of what he's done, I'm going to give him this part of my heart from a place of love. Any of these things we're talking about, it's very easy to slip into legalism on it. So just keep that in mind as we're, as we're going through these. Um, there's an incredible story in the book that this guy tells where he was doing a, a devotional one time. He was using this old Bible that was like a family Bible and his dad's handwriting like his dad would write, like when he read it. And there was a day he saw and it like, it almost like stopped him in his tracks. And it was like his dad had done this devotional um, and it was the day after he lost the governor's race. So he was sharing this story about like, you know, for me, if I was ever running for governor, that would be a pretty massive like thing. It might be really hard to like stay grounded in that, se in that season and stay centered on Christ in that season. And yet the author's father ran for He's a Republican candidate for governor, ran for it, and lost the race for governor in the state of Virginia, woke up the next morning, and what did he do? He opened his Bible just like he did every day of his life, and it said with, um, what's his name, the author? <laughs> what is his name? I don't remember. With Justin. So in the Bible, it was like June 23rd, 19-whatever, and it said with Justin. He literally invited his son into his office to have devotional with him the day after he lost the biggest, you know, probably political and career thing in his life. Wow. So that was super challenging to me because I'm like, man, would that be my instinct? Like, have I developed the rhythm in my life 
and is my life a place of worship to the point that after my greatest defeat I would res- I would re- resort back to the habits and the and the rhythms I've created in my life and invite my family in wow. to have God with me there in that moment thought that was really powerful a um, couple other things I think are just uh, so there's a book called Atomic Habits um, that I read one time that's really good if you just want to know like how do I develop new rhythms in my life um, by James Clear and one of the things he talks about is the idea of put it in front of the door and it's this really simple concept of okay if you got a, a really important project let's say you work on a, a school project for all week and you really got to make sure you turn it in if you set your backpack like in front of the door that you have to go out to get in the car the next day you're probably not going to forget your backpack right so like if there's something that you want to do how do you find a way to put it in front of something else in your life so that you have to go through that in order so that like that's essentially what i'm doing with my devotional right it's at a place I go every morning, so I see it. And so I'm putting it in front of the door. And um, there's also the idea of habit stacking. So if there's something that you always have a tendency to do, like I always uh, put the kids, okay, your example, I always pick the kids up, right? That's a great example of habit stacking. I always, I always p- pick the kids up when I leave work every day. So I'm going to make driving to pick the kids up a trigger for me to start praying at midday. That is my midday trigger, right? It's called habit stacking. Okay, so there's just a couple of like non-spiritual practical tips for Okay, I want to try to do some of these things. Here's some ways that you can kind of put them into place. Um, yeah, I think that's it. Anything else you want to add on? Um, I, I know that this can be a, a source of like getting in the Word early in the morning. It can be a source of a lot of condemnation for a lot of people. You talk to a lot of people, and it's like, how are you doing with your being transformed journals? And like you see it on their face. They're like, I mean, kind of, you know, like I read a couple times, or I'm keeping up, you know. You do, anyone had to do like a day in their being transformed journals where you like make up, like you catch up, you do like four days in one. Um, uh, I want you to write this down. Uh, I'm not blank, but I want to be. So I will do blank. There's a lot of things that we want to be. We want to be all the things that God calls us to be we all we all want to live at that standard right like we want to do it we want to love the word we want to we want to love prayer we want to love worship we want to be the 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 husbands and fathers and friends and and brothers and sisters that we that God's calling us to be but sometimes our flesh fails okay so I'm not but I want to be what what this says whenever we go to the word of God first before our phone it's like I want to love your word more and it's just like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to I'm gonna buy an alarm clock. I'm going to spend $10 on Amazon to get an analog alarm clock. I'm going to put it across my room. I'm going to go to bed on time. Even if I don't want to, I'm going to do it because I am. I, I may not love the word like I want to, but I want to love the word. And so I will do. And you just make it a habit. You do it over time, and you do it over time, and you do it over time. It's going to shift something in you. You're not a hypocrite for not wanting first thing in the morning to, like, <laughs> to get in the Word. Like, you're not a hypocrite for that. You're really not. But it's a, pra- a practice you need to have in your life. So I am not, but I want to be. So just make the change. Make the shift. Um, uh, the, the phone thing is a huge one. I think you need to understand. We need to remember, and this may seem like an oversimplification, but your phone is a drug. What it does to your brain is very addictive, like chemically. And so when you have surgery and they give you the pain medicine, you're aware of that, right? Like, uh, so my dad would always steal my pain medicine whenever I had anything like dental <laughs> things. 
he would come and he'd be like, you can take Advil. And he would say, because he, they'd heard so many stories of people that, that, that took painkillers and, and got addicted to them. And he was like, this is not going to happen. What I found out later is that he was like putting them in his pantry. So like if he couldn't sleep at night, he would take one. And I'm like, dad, this is the opposite. And I'm pretty sure this is illegal. Um, my dad's a great man. It's just, I found out later in life, I was like, what are all these medicines that have my name on it? Dad, and he told um, but my point is, like, we're careful with that stuff, right? Um, we need to be careful with our phones, too. So, like, in the morning, there's the pull to, like, and it's like, nope, I'm not going to. I'm going to go to the Word first. I'm going to whatever it might be. Like, you may not need to turn. Like, why do you need to turn on your phone until you get in the car and need to put on your worship music, right? Like, why? Wh- what use do you have for your phone up until that point? You got clocks around your house. You got other things around your house. Your boss doesn't need to talk to you before 8 a.m. You know, like your work starts at a certain time. Like you're not going to get fired because you didn't take a phone call at 7 a.m. So just don't mess with it. Just leave it alone. Okay, sorry. Um, We're going to transition to weekly habits now. And uh, again, just like Chris said earlier, like we are not going to talk about this one very much because we're going to do a whole community uh, equipped class. But it's just have a one-hour conversation with a friend. Um, My life drastically changed when I – really took friendship seriously and and realized that my life was not just to um, grow up and do adult things that like my life was brought so much vibrancy um, and even pulled me and, and, and grew me as I embraced like what true friendship looks like and um, and so the the big takeaway here is that you need vulnerable time like vulnerability over time equals friendship and so you just got to make a practice of it, and you got to be intentional about finding ways to hang. We're all busy, but finding ways to build in community into your life. Uh, w- one of my best friends is Jared Lawrence, and we work out together almost every uh, three or four days a week. And that's our time to be real with each other. Like, this is not a gripe fest. This is like, hey, how was your day? How was your day? What's something that, like, you know, got taught you today or whatever? Kind of wherever the conversation goes, but it's intentional friendship. It's intentional vulnerability over time, and it's going to lead uh, lead to that. I want to give you a couple things to think about if you don't have a like a true friend in your life that like knows all all the things about you. Just a couple requirements. One, they got to love Jesus. Who you spend time with is going to affect you. Okay, and I'd even make this statement because we live in a unique time. Uh, this is not a law. This is not in the Bible. This is just David Terry talking here. I'd probably, if you don't already have a close friend, I would look inside the walls of New Song because there's something about sitting under the same teaching with the people that you're in community with because they know your standard and they know like how you're all trying to grow together and they can be like, hey, haven't seen you at midweek prayer or haven't seen you, you know, you're being transformed journal or whatever it might be. I think that's really important. And then make sure there are people that like not just that you get along with, but that they that they are like pursuing the Lord the same way that you want to, if not more. Like, aim to be the weak link in there because you'll 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 be elevated. Okay, okay. Um, weekly habit two: curate media to four hours. I read this title and immediately I was like, oh no, this is gonna mess with my life. <laughs> I don't want to read this. I don't want to read this chapter. I like how I am with everything. Um, uh, right off the bat, this is less about like creating a law of four hours, and it's more about just being intentional. Okay, I, I this ended up being my favorite chapter in the book uh, because it helped me to see um, media differently than I did before. Okay, so there's two types of media. Uh, well, there's more than two types of media, but there's two types of media out there. 
one that is a pacifier for your mind. It just it just helps you escape, shuts things off. Nothing wrong with it, but it's a pacifier for your mind. And then there's one that contains beauty and complexity and challenges you. It requires a little bit more like effort to consume this type of, of media. Um, what this chapter is mostly about is is making sure that what we are consuming is shaping us and growing us in the right direction. Okay, how many of you know watching something like uh, Keeping Up with the Kardashians <laughs> and and watching something else uh, it, it is is going uh, anything anything else? <laughs> you know I. I, I'm not saying there's there's nothing wrong. Like, dude, Keeping Up with the Kardashians is hilarious, man. Like, man, the life they live is crazy. Like, they live on a whole different planet than the rest of us do. Um, but there's a difference in watching that and like and like consuming something. Like, there's this this show Kaylee and I just got done watching called Five Days in Memorial, and it's about this hospital uh, during Katrina that after the, the levees broke, they were stuck in this hospital with no plan for evacuation with 2,000 patients for five days. And, um, and they, had to make a lot, like, they had to make a lot of difficult decisions. And like watching this show, you're just going, I grew up, I remember Katrina. Like I remember, all, I remember seeing it on the news, but like these are real people and real stories. What would I do in this situation? Like it, it, it's shifting my mind. It's, it's creating empathy in me. It's creating compassion in me. So there's three goals and three areas that the author tells us, and I agree with, to curate media for, just to select media for. The first one is this, curate for beauty. Like God, some of y'all need to hear this. Like God created life for you to enjoy. Enjoy like he he created the animals and like like look at the picture of Eden Which is what God intended like that wasn't God's plan B like that was God's original intention And like his goal was to live in community and peace and and beauty with his creation like God created life for you to enjoy Like that's why things are beautiful and that's why we have emotions and that's why we have a sense of humor It's because like God wants you to enjoy life The goal of life is not just to continue to strive and strive and strive to better yourself and to like reach some impossible standard What that is that's works Like Jesus was the impossible standard and that's not to give you permission to let off the gas But it's just like sometimes we just need to like do you enjoy your life? Okay, and media can help us do that. Like there are books, there are stories, there are shows that are that are shot beautifully, that are clean and and moral, and are are teaching good values. So we want to pick media that that allows us to see the beauty in life. I like to read. I like to read. I'm gonna be kind of let uh, tell on myself here. I'm a total nerd. I love to read like fantasy books. Like I'm like like Lord of the Rings. Um, there's a there's a series called Wheel of Time that that I'm I'm reading right now and it's a super long series and it's super lame and nerdy, um, but I find myself like seeing through the eyes of these characters and it, and it causes me to go like God shows me things about myself through like watching how this character's processing things. So, the type of media that you consume can help you to see the beauty in life. Okay, second thing, curate for justice. So this would be making sure that you're watching things that make you feel uncomfortable. Watch a documentary. Watch something with an opposing side, if at the very least to help you to understand a thought process of somebody else. Watch something about uh, a, a culture that like, Kay Kaylee put on, that my wife put on this, this 
this terrible rom rom com, terrible in the sense of it was written terribly. This rom com uh, that was on Netflix, and it was about this like Indian couple, and they were like going to all these traditional Indian weddings. And somehow I got sucked into it. Like I was like, <laughs> I'm gonna read tonight, and then like she turned it on, and it was like, I like got sucked into it. Yeah. But I was like, oh, wow, like this culture is beautiful. And, and, and one of the things that like curating for justice will do is it'll make sure that we like get out of our own mind, make sure we get out of the things we're comfortable with and to see the complexity in God's kingdom and the issues. And to, it's easy to like go, I'm not going to think about that. Not my problem, you know, out of sight, out of mind. Um, third thing, that, and I loved this bit here, curate for community. Um, most media is best consumed with someone uh, that you love and that you know and it's it's best followed by that com- a conversation with someone it keeps us from just binging and not actually being edified at all uh, one of the things the tips he puts in there is to use the credits as don't like turn off autoplay uh, on like Netflix and stuff so that when the credits roll you th- that's your time for you to talk with whoever like you were watching it with about like you know what you saw in it and like what you liked or didn't like about the episode or whatever it might be, it forces us to build community or to like watch shows with friends. So like you got coworkers and it's like, Hey, this is a clean show. We're going to like this because the other thing that, that watching for community does is like, it'll help you to set standards and to live under those standards because it's like, yeah, probably shouldn't be watching this show, you know? And like you're in community with people. And so it's like, I'm not going to suggest to my small group that we watch this. (laughs) Um, and so it, it helps with some accountability. But the other thing it does is it gives you fuel for your relationships. Like, there's nothing wrong with media. Um, but one thing I would challenge you to do is to just document it. Like, try not to get out of your head about it. But just document over a week and keep track. How much am I, like, just consuming media? And then at the end of the week, look at that and, like, see how you feel about it. Like, how does that make you feel? You know, is it, like, a good number? Like, I'm like, okay, this many hours, this seems acceptable because it's, you know, you need to rest, you need to unwind, whatever that looks like. Um, so anyways, it's not a four uh, like hour hard rule, but just some things to keep in mind. Okay. Uh, next weekly habit, uh, fast from something for 24 hours, fast for something for 24 hours. Okay. Feasting versus fasting. Do you guys know that the Bible tells us to feast? Mm. Mm. Um, feeding, uh, eating and, and, uh, like, just being stuffed and satisfied like is a good thing if there's a reason for it and if the reason for it is that you're celebrating something that God's done or you're celebrating a relative or a friend or you're celebrating um you're celebrating uh like a holiday like feast some of y'all need to hear that like it's okay to like go all out at Thanksgiving that's totally good we're that God has created our body to respond to food a certain way and like like he was talking about earlier like there's significance at the table and there's significance so there's times for feasting but then there's also times for fasting and what what feasting does is we don't feast to be full because we are full in Christ we are full of life and are celebrating that's why we feast we don't feast to fill that's coping we're coping with our day, coping with our problems. We don't feast to fill. We fast to remind ourselves that we need only God. So there's this pattern that you see in Scripture and that you would see in Jewish culture of feasting and fasting, days of feasting, days of fasting, days of feasting. It's supposed to be a repetition, okay? Um, we, we fast. Now, there is a difference between fasting and abstaining, and this is one area that I disagree with the author and that's fine. Like, I'm not going to write him a review or anything. It's still a great book. Um, but in Scripture, fasting is specific to food. 
It's not, you can't fast social media because fasting has to do with what it does to your body. There's an aspect of being hungry that awakens something in us to go, okay, I'm hungering for God. I hunger for you more than I hunger for food. Fasting is also not like just going on like a biblical diet. That's not fasting either. That's abstaining from certain foods. Nothing wrong with that either. Um, you know, Daniel fast is not fun. Like there's, there's plenty of things, but fasting is when you go, I'm not going to eat for a certain period of time. And it's a spiritual practice that we see all the way throughout the Bible in the new Testament, old Testament, all over the place. Um, and it's something that we do here at new song every Wednesday. Uh, we fast as a church. We invite you to do that on a weekly basis. That looks different for, um, we're not gonna I'm not gonna spend a, a ton of time kind of unpacking this, but, um, kind of some examples of what that could look like for you. Um, I know people that they stop eating at dinner on Tuesday night and then they eat at uh, dinner the next day. That'd be a 24 hour fast. I know some people that, um, and this is me, I just don't eat breakfast and I don't eat lunch and then I'll eat right before I go work out at the end of the day. I don't necessarily keep track of what time it was the day before, but I wake up on Wednesday and I'm like, okay, I'm fasting for prayer. I'm fasting for what's going on. Because fasting and prayer always go together in scripture. It helps us to keep uh, focused on what we're praying for and the things that we're doing. Um, uh, some people only fast up until midweek prayer and then it's like, all right, I'll pray. I'm going to go eat lunch now. Whatever it is, I just encourage you, do something. This is a principle and a pattern that we want to keep in our life, okay? So uh, fasting, have a pattern of that. Uh, I would encourage you to do it with the church with the church as we do it together. There's also another area we don't have time to get into, but um, recent science has discovered massive health benefits to fasting. If you go at least 36 hours without food, it like turbocharges your immune system. It's really good for your brain. Um, it's amazing. It's almost like God knew this 6,000 years ago when the Bible was first created, right? Um, <laughs> so, um, our last weekly habit and the final habit that we're going to talk about tonight is the idea of a Sabbath. Um, and this is a, another area where just in my life personally, I can say like David was like, are there any chapters you want? And I'm like, I absolutely want the Sabbath chapter. Um, the, I started listening to this podcast called, uh, the Bama podcast. And it's, it's by this guy who's a, uh, Bama is it's a, it's, he's, I don't, I'm not endorsing it. I'll put it that way, but it's interesting. Um, he's a messianic Jewish pastor teaching the Old Testament the way the Jews understood it at the time of Jesus. It's really interesting. And um, so I started learning about that. And then I um, listened to this John Mark Comer uh, sermon. And then I was talking, like, it's one of those things which, like, he's coming up over and over and over. And then I was talking to my wife about it. And I thought she'd be super resistant to it. And she's like, no, I think we should try it. And so we've been doing a Sabbath at our house for probably six or eight weeks, about the same amount, actually, ironically, about the, about when I started um, doing the alarm clock thing, too. Um, and it's been remarkable. Um, we're still not great at it. We're still very much learning. Um, but it has completely changed our weekends. It's, it's changed the pace of our family and how we do things together. And so um, one of the things that I learned from that podcast from this Messianic Jewish guy is that um, in the Hebrew culture, the Sabbath isn't just part of the story. It's a theme that they believe is almost the whole point of the story. It's about God's rest and his place of rest. And if you read Hebrews, like in the New Testament, the New Testament author talks about God inviting us to a place of rest. And the whole idea is that God is a God who calls us and invites us to trust the story. Like God chose not to keep working on the seventh day. Think about that. The animals were still not named. 
He gave Adam that job, right? Like he made a choice. You think God couldn't have come up with something else incredible to create on day seven? Like it's not like he's out of ideas. So I guess we'll just lay the you know the microphone down and uh, and go take a, a break. He intentionally made a choice to demonstrate to us that we are made for rest. Um, there's a promise of rest to Abraham that was given in Scripture. Um, Joshua, when he was about to cross over, was promised that they would go through a period of war and then find rest in the in the in the sat in the Holy Land. And then, as I mentioned earlier, see Hebrews talks about this all throughout the Bible. And the idea is that God is a God who knows when to say enough. It is good. It is finished. Like He is modeling for us that it's not work, 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 work in order to define our identity and our value. That our value is in who we are, not what we do. And that's the power of yeah. Sabbath. Um, so I think there's a massive lesson that our culture gets completely wrong, which is this idea that, um, like I spent most of my career in sales. And so the lesson, like the practical lesson in sales is like, the more calls you make, the more client visits you go on, the more proposals you put out, the more you will sell, the more you will get paid, the more valuable you are. Your value is directly related to what you do. How much effort you put out determines your value as a person. Okay? The truth is, it determines the value of the role, the sales position. But I was not just a salesperson or a sales manager or a sales executive. I was Chris Dingus, the person. Right? And each of you guys is a human being. What we do matters. Like, God created us for work. Work is beautiful and it's good. I can talk to you about that over a long dinner sometime. Like, about how our work is holy. But... It is not holy if we let it define us. If we allow it to become our identity, there's a scripture, one of my favorite scriptures in Psalms, you may know which one it is, is all my fountains are in you. There's a, a worship song. I love you, Lord, I love you more than I've. So there's this whole idea of, I love that idea of like all of our fountains are in God, meaning like everything that's flowing out of our life, all of our words, all of our actions, all of our thoughts, everything we're putting into other people is coming from the Lord. It's flowing out of us through him. And rest provides us a way to do that. Um, striving is the opposite of what God called us to do. Striving is a curse of the fall, right? Like because of the fall, Adam had to till the ground, right? And work by the sweat of his brow. But Jesus came to redeem us from the curse. He's a new Adam. We live under a new covenant. We're living in a different season. And so today, I don't believe, this is my personal, I don't, I don't know that I've ever heard anybody that disagreed with this, but I um, I believe that striving is about working really hard to attain something, often to prove our worth or something else about ourselves, but we're called to work from a place of rest. And what that means is that we're secure in our place with Christ. We're confident in what he's done for us. And so we work as worship. It's in response to what God has done for us. God has given me this particular talent, this particular passion. He's given me this particular skill set. So in order to honor what he's done and what he's given me, I'm going to use those skills and abilities as best I can to do good things on this earth. And that doesn't just mean ministry, guys. It could be if you are if you build homes and you're creating places for people to live, that is redemptive work in this work. If you work in accounting and you help balance books and keep numbers correct and you know make sure that the money's taken up, that is redemptive and it has value. Like God created us to do that work, but we don't work in order to prove that we have value. We don't work in order to prove to other people that we have value. We work as a worship to the Lord. 
And it's it's a lens into the motive of our heart. The, they they reveal a great deal about what we actually believe to be true versus what we may say we that we believe to be true. Um, the difference in presence and productivity, um, busyness. The author talked a lot about busyness. Um, hey, how you doing, man? Oh, I've been so busy. How many times have you said that? Like that's become a cultural value in America. Ironically, there used to be a time when uh, wealthy people would um, show off their wealth by living these leisurely lifestyles and they would play tennis in the afternoons. And it's crazy because that's not the case. Even people I know who are really, really successful, they still feel the need to be busy. Yeah, it's like, how did we get brainwashed to believe that like, that we need to be like so crammed full with our schedule in order to feel like we fit in or have value? Like, that's nuts. But it's very normal. Um. So the idea here is that um, with the Sabbath, so just some practical things. Um, first off, this, this quote that I heard um, from, from the, the, the Messianic rabbi was, he said, his kid, if you ask any of his kids what is Sabbath, there's four things they say. We rest, we play, no work, God loves us. We rest, we play, no work, God loves us. So there's a difference, and this is probably the biggest learning lesson I would say. I'm going to bring this to land in two minutes. It's probably the biggest learning lesson I would say that we've had as a family that we're still working on is that um, Sabbath is not about doing nothing. Sabbath is about doing intentionally restful things. It's about structuring a day of the week when I'm going to say I'm not going to work. Like, like one of the things that we do in our home we don't do the like we do ours on Saturday. Saturday has become our Sabbath day because we do Saturday. We're, we are good new song Christians who come to the Saturday night service yeah, yeah, yeah. to make room for all of you heathens who still go to Sunday at eleven. <laughs> so no, I'm totally kidding. Um, when we don't come on Saturday, we come Sunday at eleven. Um, but we we do we are Saturday Saturday service people, and so we started doing Saturday as our Sabbath. Um, and so one of the things that we do on Saturdays is we don't do the dishes. Now here's what's interesting about that. It drives my wife crazy. She doesn't like not having the dishes done. Okay? But we don't not do the dishes because we like it. We do it because it's our way to tell the Lord we can be okay without the dishes being done. Like our our identity is not in our ability to keep a clean house. Our identity where we rest in who we are in you. Okay? Here's another thing. I don't like shaving. I don't shave on Saturdays. Right? It's not about whether or not you like doing the thing. It's about saying no to things in order to tell the Lord you are enough. Okay? Um, the other thing is what is restful? One of the, the quotes in here that I love is um, from a Jewish rabbi named Abraham Heschel. He says, he who works with his hands should, should Sabbath with his mind, and he who works with his mind should Sabbath with his hands. Okay? I'm a knowledge worker. And what I mean by that is all week I'm thinking about problems, I'm writing emails, I'm communicating with people, I'm teaching, I'm training. I love do like I love gardening. I love like building things with tools and organizing my garage. For some people that would be work, but for me that's restorative. It's restful for me to be able to do that. So that's something I would do on Sabbath. Um, we're also really, really intentional about um, doing what we curate or curating what we watch and what we listen to. Uh, and we usually also incorporate community. So our habit has become church, meal, yeah. friends. So we end up, we have a really close-knit neighborhood, and a lot of times we have neighborhood friends over on Saturday evenings, and that's how we end our Sabbath. He also talked um, as, about this idea of um, 
of recognizing that there's seasonality to it. So we focus more on the rule than the exception. There will be seasons when Sabbath will be hard. If you develop a really good habit of doing the Sabbath, then you're going to have grace for the seasons. Whereas if you focus only on the exception and how hard the season is, you're probably going to miss it altogether. Um, and then the, the final point I'll make here is this idea of embracing limitations. Um, Sabbath reduces your time each week to get things done. Okay? You will not be able to do as much work in six days as you do in seven. Okay? Right? I've heard people say, oh, I can be more productive. Like, well, you may be more present. You may be more focused. But there is a literal amount of time to do the work. Right? Especially if you're in a season of life and you have young kids in the house. God bless you. Um, like, it's, yeah, it looks different. But the point is to rest in the reality that we can't get it all done. Our value is not in our ability to do so. It's in the sacrifice Christ made for us. And the la- that's the last thing I'll say on closing thoughts is this idea. Like, I hope everybody in here is really, really confident. Like, your righteousness is not based on what you do. Like, you're not more righteous when you're reading your Being Transformed journal and doing all these habits and living a holy life and, like, avoiding sin than you are when you're in a season where, you know, maybe you're screwing up a lot. Because our righteousness isn't based on what we do. It's based on what Jesus did. So why do we do these things? Why do we curate a particular time of life and you build good habits and create liturgies? We do it in order to give space for the Holy Spirit to transform us in the image of his likeness. It's about making room for him to create in us fully formed sons and daughters of God. And that's the point of all this. So, Um, And and just one other thing I'd add to the Sabbath thing is that uh, I talked to a lot of people, and this is probably the thing that people argue with me the most on, is like taking a Sabbath. Uh, they will agree to tithe before they will agree to Sabbath. And I'm like, hey, this was like a ten, like one of the Ten Commandments. Like, You look at the other Ten Commandments, like which one are you going to take out? Murder, stealing, adultery. Like which one are you going to take out? Like this is Jesus, God is saying, Hey, this is very, very important. The Sabbath is the Lord's day. So just like the the idea of the the uh, the tithe being if, if you don't tithe, you're robbing from God. You're robbing a day from God is what you're doing. And I am being a little stronger on that because I've seen it damage so many people's lives and families and marriages by not adhering to this principle. Um, so. You don't have to get legalistic with it. I do know some people that do like half Sabbath, so they do like um, they'll they'll do like you know from five o'clock on one day to five o'clock on another day. There's some people that don't have consistent. Like Molly works at the hospital; her Sabbath doesn't remain consistent all the time throughout the throughout the week. But you need to look at and you, you need to get this in order pretty quickly because there's a lot that has to do with your your mental capacity. And then also don't look at it as a day to just chill all day long. Like when Kaylee and I first got married, that's what our Sabbath was, was like sweet license to chill, just like watch TV all day long. And I'd end the day and I wouldn't be rested at all. Now I know, okay, so if this is the Lord's day, how do I lean in even more to him? How do I up my game a little bit more to him? Like how do I devote this day to the Lord? Um, Okay, uh, we've got a couple minutes at the uh, like eight minutes till we release. Wanted to kind of open it up for some Q and A. Um, does anyone have any questions? Anything they want us to elaborate a little bit more on? Are there any blanks that we uh, that we missed? Sorry, guys. Sorry, my session. What's it under? 
I'm glad I highlighted them. I'm glad I highlighted things now. I was doing like a madman out there at the <laughs> tables. I was highlighting like crazy. Any others? Yes, sir. Oh, yes. Power morning under daily habits. Rituals. Rituals. Yes, sir. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think I think you have to go to the Lord and go. How do you? How should I rest? You know, like there are certain things I d I try not to do. Like I, I don't meal prep on my Sabbath because like I I can't. I start thinking about my week and all the things. But I'll mow the lawn. Oh man, I love mowing the lawn on my Sabbath. It's so like refreshing and that's a lot of hard work. So I mean, I think you got to identify: is this causing me to slip into work mode? Or is this allowing me to stay in like sun mode with the Lord? Yeah. It's like Monday through Saturday or Monday through, you know, your the first six days of your week are about serving the Lord and serving others. And the Sabbath is about being a son before the Lord. And so there's a, it's important distinction. So I don't know. Yeah. The other thing I would say is like, don't feel like you have to perform the Sabbath. Like it's trial and error, bro. Like, yeah. <laughs> Do oh some yeah. things. They make you feel rested. Do you feel at peace? Do you feel connected to the Holy Spirit when you do them? If not, ditch them. If so, keep them. Like, it's okay to just, like, work on this. Like, if you're not doing this in your life right now, you're not going to be great at it when you first try. Most likely. Maybe you will be. Maybe you'll have a different experience. But, like, yeah. I would say our family's like, 65% of where I hope that we can get to. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And we've been doing it for six or eight weeks. Yep. Sure. Other questions? Thoughts? Destiny. So for the sake of the recording, the question was, um, you know, if you have built a habit in your life where you've let your identity come from work, how do you start unwiring that? Um, I think the first thing I would say is have grace for yourself. Like, um, I won't even say it has taken me because I think I'm still unwiring that in myself. Um, I spent 14 years inside of a highly, highly charged corporate environment. Um, I think a few things. Number one, community, community, community community like we were not meant to do this life alone and I think that getting around other people and specifically spending time talking about like your identity in Christ and like praying for each other and like encouraging each other and like you're not what you do um, I think the other thing is building um, like literal liturgies of prayer um, like one of the things that I started doing towards the end of my career that helped me a lot was 
I would wake up every day and say, thank you, Father, that I am a loved son. You love me so much you gave Jesus for me. Thank you, Father, that you've given me gifts and skills and abilities and say I'm going to use them for your kingdom, not to prove my value and worth to others. But in or, like I started saying out loud over and over and over this ritualistic prayer that was trying to reinforce in my own mind and my own heart the truth that I wanted to believe to displace the lie that I'd come to believe because of, you know, the culture that I had become part of. Yeah, and uh, we, I, I sympathize with that. Uh, I dealt with that for many years in, in, in ministry of just feeling like all I had to offer the Lord even, it got even more twisted than that, is because it's not just my job, is my identity, but all I am to God is the gift that I can bring to Him. And uh, what I found was like, why did I keep coming back to that? Like why, I was like addicted to that idea and that uh and what was the what was the reward system that i was chasing after and identifying that so like when somebody would give me a compliment it would be like oh thank god it's true like i'm still producing for the lord like i've done a good job and like stopping those moments you know like maybe when you get like a compliment from a coworker or whatever and like identifying within yourself like no 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 like i'm valued because of the lord so i think it, you got to attack it from both angles Anybody else got time for maybe two questions if the first question isn't that long? <laughs> oh, keeping us on task. I love it. Okay, where is it? Okay. Was that yours or mine? It's a revelation of what we trust or worship. That's good. Okay. Yes, ma'am. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, and that, that points to also, too, like, you know, we need to stay informed, find good sources and good places to do that. There's an account I follow on Instagram called The Pour Over News, um, and it's, like, a Christian. Like, what they do is they give they gain all the things that you, like, need to know about, and then they look at it through, like, a biblical lens. So it's like, this stuff's happening. Like, this happened in Ukraine today, and it would cause you to, to feel this. This is what the word says, and it's like Jesus on the throne, and it's like just such a great way to like stay informed, and then like the panic, and it's like, oh yeah, God, you know, it's like, oh, I feel all the emotions. So I think that's good to have. The pour over news, and then what was your email called? Um, Today at nicenews.com, and then the pour over news. Any other questions? Nope. Nope. Okay. Can I pray for you? Yeah. Yes.
Lord, thank you for grace. Thank you for mercy. But Lord, also thank you for the power to do the things that are in your word. The life that you call us to and that you offer us is a good life. And Lord, we want it. And Lord, I thank you that it's attainable, that you didn't put something in front of us, a standard to, to live up to that we could never live up to, but that the Holy Spirit, you come in and you help us. So Lord, I just silence the voices of condemnation. Help us to respond to conviction where necessary, but also, Lord, help us to realize that you've done all the work. And so, Lord, we're just trying to be good sons and daughters. So Lord, I pray that you'd bless them. Thank you for their time that they've given up to be here tonight in whatever season of life they're in. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen them and encourage them that we would look more like you, Jesus, not more like the versions of you that we think that you are, but who you really are, Lord. Would you imprint your heart, your attitude, your eyes, your perspective, imprint that into our hearts, Lord. That's what we want our perspective to be. And so, Lord, help us. Give us wisdom. Give us discernment. Give us good friends to come alongside us and help, help keep us accountable in these things. Help these things not to be something that we get excited about one day and then and then slip away on the other. Help them to take root to these biblical principles. Help them take root into our souls. In Jesus' name, amen.